Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Brian Fox. Brian is conducting what we are attempting to do is a interview. Brian interviewing me. This is part two of a series where we're really diving into what it means to specifically Kelly Patrick, what it means to me to be an anarchist. And I enjoy these conversations. Brian and I talk off the air sometimes about them. And I've always said, If I enjoy the episode, if I find it to be mentally stimulating and I enjoy it, then I say we keep doing them, you know. Uh, If others find it fascinating, that's great. But uh, I really enjoy talking to Brian about uh, being a libertarian, about the world of of politics and everything that goes into that. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. And you've got my Diet Dr. Pepper, which I don't mind if you want to share it, but I'm not really a, I'm a voluntary socialist. (laughs) Voluntary socialist. Okay. That is an interesting. Socialism is actually not a terrible idea. And so, and we can get into that. Yeah, we are recording. So that's an interesting topic. I live in a four unit condo complex. I live in one. That's just four units. That's the entirety of the condo association. That's, a, in effect, a form of voluntary socialism. We, yes. we all pay one fee for the water. I have um, uh, five people who live in my condo. Two of the other, one of the other guys in my building has the same size condo as me. He has one 78-year-old man. Who do you think uses more water? And I train jujitsu and... I mean, we use exponentially more water than this 78-year-old man. So there is a, a um, among libertarian circles, there is a known sort of, un, there's an understanding that socialists 
can get by just fine within a free society. Ooh, you're taking off yeah, the yeah, 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 I'm a little hot. <laughs> you're going to do a dance for me. <laughs> it did look like I'm going down to stripping down. I was like, wow, And this- I am. Yeah. Wow, this, this, uh, that's a good one. In the middle, just we start made, to, And we made eye contact. <laughs> just in the middle of the podcast, just stand up and take my pants off. Another thing is when we, when we leave sometimes, this door gets stuck and I'll make the joke like, like trying it's to, not over till it's over. <laughs> trying to trap you in here. <laughs> kind of get an awkward little laugh right after the episode's done. Um, within Liberty Circles, it's actually known that socialism, as in the true essence of socialism, meaning sharing, community, can actually thrive within a libertarian society, a free society. Okay. But that's only because it's by choice. It's with consent. It's got to be super voluntary. Yes. If at any point this 78-year-old man, who you, if he doesn't do it. I'm telling you. He does one load of laundry a week. My household, we do... 20? No, literally <laughs> three a day. Yeah. You know, so I mean, a substantially... Yeah. We're but, a family of four, and we go through quite a bit, too. We can't keep up sometimes. Yeah. It's and, like there's piles of laundry on occasion. It's just it's a good thing it's all on the second floor because otherwise if people had to walk by that shit, it would be crazy. But this guy gets to choose to stay here. He could move if he decided contractually he could he wanted to bail out. He could move, yeah. sell his unit. It's always voluntary. I think that's the issue that a lot of people get hung up with on the socialist side on the left is they don't understand the concept of consent. Mm. There's the assumption of the social contract, which means because you're here, you agree. Um, that's. That yeah, they sounds assi- pretty far fetched. That's, that's what at the, its core. That sounds well, like bullshit. And if, you, and if you think about it, a lot of conservatives think the same way. Ooh. Um, the assumption that we're all in this together, that we share this society, so therefore, there's a fundamental unspoken agreement, is what they argue is where the basis of a lot of their rationality is from. And most of us grew up with that. I would say that for the most part. For probably the better part of, oh, I don't know. Um, I didn't become an ANCAP until 2016-ish. So whatever age I turned. So that was like, what, you know, four, eight years ago? I mean, I don't know. Let's just say that up until about seven or eight years ago, I was probably in a sort of a statist mindset still. Typical Republican. Which is... No, I wasn't a typical Republican. I was still a libertarian. I just oh. was not an ANCAP. So there's two types of libertarians. Okay. There's libertarians who believe in super-duper liberty government. Gary Johnson. Yes. And then there's the anarchists. Actual. So there's minarchists, and then there's anarchists. And, in- we'll, and, what, and that'll be the parlay to what we're going to get into here. But uh, yes, conservatives, left, right, they all believe in some assumption of a social contract of society to where we all have a responsibility to society, to one another in some degree or another. Y- Yanni and I were watching a, a debate from, I think, 1967. I may be wrong, something like that. I think it was a young Ronald Reagan. I may be getting my numbers, my years mixed up, but I think it was Ronald Reagan against RFK Sr., you know, Ro- Bobby Kennedy shortly before he was killed, I think. We are just come across it on YouTube for some reason. And some of the rhetoric Reagan was using, of course, my Cuban wife was like, huh, sounds like collectivism. Yep. Um, there's not, when you, it's when, when you're, it's kind of like the idea of when you're in the matrix, before you're red-pilled and you see and understand rights, it all just, it, the red, the red, the, uh, 
how do I call it? The uh, left, process right, of being red pilled. The, the, the left right paradigm. Okay. Oh, left right. I'm sorry. Is okay. what's paramount. Okay. And you see things from the perspective of Team Red, Team Blue, hmm. Democrats, Republicans, maybe conservatives and leftists, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Until you step outside of that matrix, until you look at it from a more of a rights perspective. Then you see it for what it is, and then you realize, ah, there's an entirely different view that you haven't considered before. This is why a lot of people mistakenly refer to libertarians as the whole fiscally conservative, socially liberal, because that's they're from they're within the box, within the matrix. They can't see it from any other perspective. They see it as, okay, so you guys are okay with gay marriage and the use of drugs and live and let live domestically, but you want, you know, sound money and no wars and a restricted government. So that's how they encapsulate it. And honestly, think about it this way. What is taught in public schools? I'm sorry, what is what? What is taught in public schools? Taught. Yeah, in terms of your the view of government, big oh, government. Yeah. Everything. The views, everything. Well, yeah, so... You're not, unless you have someone in your life that introduces you to the ideas of liberty, of individualism, you're going to think government good in some way. You think that the government does things that are good for you. It's looking out for you, police, fire department, education, schools, the military. You think all of that is for your betterment, for your for the welfare of society. So the idea that government can in any way be a force of malice is very foreign to most people. It's uh, very contrarian and, and it's very antagonistic. And um, coming from that perspective, I would say that there's probably a good couple shortcuts and we're going to try to find a way to parlay this to your journey. Yeah, this is technically with, part two. of This you. is part two. You've discovered, you, we've, we've discussed your journey from what you grew up on to coming to liberty, but we didn't really get to the threshold of anarchy because you recently said that you were leaning towards embracing anarchy. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like jokingly said, oh, do you really think you're an anarchist? Mm -hmm. And you kind of hinted perhaps. Perhaps, because there is some question at all points. Like I say I'm an anarchist, and philosophically I do not believe in the legitimacy of any of the government. But when you hash out the details, and that's where I was going to go with this, is we're going to take some time to explore those questions. Love it. Because what we're going to do is what I'm going to do, actually, is I'm going to give a very simple premise of what a stateless society is. I don't like to really use anarchy because I believe the anarchy – gives a very negative connotation. Sure. It has been very maligned over the years. Although it is very true and very factual, it has a very negative connotation that is hard for some people to really get over. Whereas I think if you say a stateless society, it offers something that's more in terms of freedom. People can grasp and people, it does not have a uh, negative sort of, I guess it doesn't have that stigma to it. I bet it still does scare people, but not as much as anarchy. Not nearly as much, yes. correct. And it's really, it kind of comes from the, nat. It, when you explore the concept of natural rights, individual liberty, consent, so you're looking it up 
right now on. I'm looking into in yeah, and I know that's probably not the best. Well, let's put it this way: I was looking specifically for violence in anarchy, and Emma Goldman and the people from so long ago who they were so often associated with being anarchy means a leftist, but not only that. A violent leftist. Right. So let's put that, it this that, way. I think that's why it's scary. So for the for the listeners, we're going to try to make this as easy to, to ingest as possible because they don't have the benefit of looking this up on Google and exploring all the academic background of all the, the uh, terminology, the etymology of all these words and meanings. I just want to go from a practical approach. What does anarchy actually mean? What is a stateless society? I want to outline that, the basis of that, and then kind of explore that with you and find out where your gaps are and where your questions are. Because we've come to the cusp, to the threshold of liberty, of libertarianism, of you've embraced the idea of personal liberty. Sure. So let's take the next step forward of what is a stateless society? What is a voluntary society? And what does that entail? So to kick that off, stateless society, there is no government. Now, there's a couple of different ways we can look at that. And for most people, they're thinking of one of two things. Either A, right now, the state is abolished. What happens? That's the practical sense of, holy crap, a very daunting idea of what happens if the government is eliminated overnight. Not going to happen. Of course and not. nobody's real- going to suggest that. Yeah, of course would- not, not realistic that it's going to happen. But why even humor it? Is kind of the topic that so I so we're think- going to discuss. We'll discuss first the philosophy. Okay. Then okay. we'll go into the implementation. Okay. Love so it. the reason why we're going to do the philosophy first is we understand why would we even want this. Love it. Love it. Then once we discuss the idea, then we'll say, well, how do we get there? Okay. And we'll discuss the roadmap. To get I think there. it's important to do it in that order because yes. once you establish, we don't realize we're going to uh, the government's going to disappear tomorrow, but in our theory. Our theoretical ideal situation, there would be no... Why would we entertain the idea... Of calling of ourselves with anarchy? Anarchy. Why would we entertain that? And then once we establish why it's a good idea, then we can discuss how we're going to get there. So, Or at least trend in that direction. So how about this? You tell me really quickly what you think anarchy is and, a, and whatever summation you can come up with. I'll, steal, I'll copy off Michael Malice. I'll say, you don't speak for me, I don't speak for you. Okay. Deep dive a little bit more. Okay. Who takes care of crime? Who takes care of invaders? Okay. Who takes in who a keeps, true who keeps peace stateless society. society that I am obviously advocating for by calling myself. Are a we animal. talking about warlords roaming through the streets? Are we talking about neighborhoods full of trash and mm-hmm. chaos? What are we looking at here? What do you think it is? Good question. I have uh, tackled some of these these topics with actually my kids i have a 16 15 and 14 year old and so when i'm talking to them about these we they ask me some questions like this as far as police go you and i both pay for car insurance don't we mm-hmm. okay if you had a horrible driving record you'd be paying a higher rate mm-hmm. than you probably do i'm guessing your driving record's not that bad mm-hmm. okay that we could have similar types of privatized policies that could provide, especially if you're an insurable individual, you don't have a record of your, your you know, history of your house burning down for no so reason. So are you thinking policing would be on an individual contract? Is that what you're suggesting? That's what I'm suggesting. Okay. Not only policing, fire department, um, um, all everything. It's basically 
it, you you have incentive. You have skin in the game at all times to be well, an insurable. Well, let's go back a step further. So you're getting into a little bit of the weeds here. Okay, okay. Me, so when you think of a stateless society, the broad view, Okay. what do you think of that? Is that there is no such thing as a government or another institution that makes decisions on someone's behalf without their expressed authorization or consent consent would be the better word consent Correct. every time so in other words there's no force there's no force at no all. initiation of force no in, no initiation of force in other as words, long as you are not impacting someone negatively no one has the right to do anything to you any rule policy service anything that's done is done with consent correct okay now how would that in your mind how would order be established in a stateless society because obviously the number one concern is going to be the people that don't want to play along the people that don't have good intentions correct how do you bring order to a society when there's a either a criminal element or a group of people who can't agree. Mm -hmm. How do you establish order? Good question. There would certainly be challenges, and it would not be perfect. I think it's very important to differentiate this from a real utopian-type, communist-type... Uh, and I don't expect you to no, have I, the yeah, answers. I know, I, but, but I do think these view. are good questions still, and I think okay. it's a, a, an important thing to entertain. So off the bat... I think it's important to say that I'm not suggesting there won't be unexpected obstacles and disgruntled Bernie boys running around saying, oh, we were supposed to all share shit. What happened? And, and maybe getting violent and things like that. So I, that Are people free to cross the border? Is there even a border? Okay. In, in my ideal uh, situation, the borders would be an interesting topic that I haven't quite hashed out entirely. Okay. Um, um, that's a good one with the borders. What about uh, national defense? What about good. foreign adversaries or allies? I have a feeling that if we had uh, uh, the type of system that I was starting to describe earlier, you're a good driver, so therefore you get a good rate. You get to insure your family, all that, fire, everything, you know, whatever, um, that type stuff. There would become corporations and entities, maybe insurance companies, we could still call them even, okay, that would take on a larger role in our society. And I do believe those organizations could come together when appropriate to protect uh, the, the insured. Okay. Um, if and, I were to, and, and they could collaborate too. I, there's no reason to say you are Mormon, so you're supporting this insurance company that works with your church for, I don't even okay. know, whatever you have going on. I think on. we're still in the implementation phase. Okay. Let's push it back a step, a couple steps. What is the basis of anarchy? What is the premise of, for the most part, what would be the guiding understanding of okay. the people? So it would be, as long as you don't hurt me, I don't have a right to do anything define, to you. Define hurt me. Physically you, hurt me. You push me down and hurt me. You steal from me. You steal my physical property. Private property rights would be one of the very... Property rights is a very good... Okay. It's a very important uh, uh, part to this because that okay. does differentiate this entirety of this from an anarcho-communist type utopian situation. So yes, private property rights would be one of the few rules implemented. As long as I don't steal anything from you... Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Um, there's a lot of gray area that I could even start to play devil's advocate on. Um, but yes, at okay. its core, to answer your question, I think it would be don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. 
absent of so hurting someone or taking so, someone's stuff. So are you saying everybody's going to be in agreement on what it constitutes to just don't hurt people? Nope, nope. Certainly not <laughs> suggesting that. Certainly not suggesting that. You uh, think there's still going to be rule breakers and people that just don't respect other people? Of course there would be. Um, and there would have to be ways to work that out. Exactly. Agreements between possibly what I was trying to describe earlier, the different insurability or churches or whatever organizations want to represent individuals that they voluntarily, that each in the key word here, Brian, is every time they, they voluntarily, if I look into the fire department, I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd, I'm an engineer, I got a brain like that. I'm looking into the papers of my organization's fire department and I'm like, it doesn't seem like they do shit. <laughs> Why are we paying this guy $400,000 a year? And I decide now I'm going to voluntarily take my business across the street. That's the key point. Okay. So you bring the private market into everything. So let me ask you this. If I were to say to you, a stateless society would be a society that respects natural rights. How would you define natural rights? How do you understand that? Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. As I said earlier, there's some gray area if you start getting into, you know, some pedophilia and things so like that. So you think natural rights is just basically don't hurt people, don't take their stuff? Um, no, I mean, if you don't know, that's fine. No, I don't know. Curious. I don't okay, know. Okay. Nope. So natural rights, the most basic rudimentary way to explain the understanding of natural rights is the personal freedom to do what you want to do without hurting other people without to respect property but to live your life the way you see fit and to be able to do anything you want so long as it doesn't harm another individual that means you can have your property you can live your life you can engage in whatever behavior you want to do as long as it's not hurting other people. Now, how do we define what is hurting other people? How do you define that? Is it playing music too loud? Sure. Is it being obscene? Sure. Is it using certain language? Um, can you own as money, guns, and any type of guns that you want? Explosives. There's a lot of different directions that that can go in. So yeah. what I would say to people is as long as your actions – aren't directly harming others that's the essence of natural rights then you go into the gray areas of defining harm which technically speaking there could be some gray areas oh i i yeah lot, plenty of not that. saying that that means that for instance um you said bad language and that hurt my feelings does that quantify as harm we're mm -hmm. going to get into that mm -hmm. so to define anarchy is simply people living in their space, respecting boundaries of one another. That's the essence of it. Now, in a society with, whether it's hundreds of people or millions of people, obviously that's going to look a lot different. And for a lot of people to consider that is, you have to understand what the framework is, is if we all are coming from that basic framework of natural rights, then how do we go from there? Well, where are we at right now? Right now we're at a place where... We have a country with a federal government, then states with state governments, and then municipalities. How would we break that down to achieve something that resembles anarchy? Well, and this is going to be a little bit of an abridged version, but it's basically going to be on the assumption of decentralization, top to bottom. First, you have to get rid of the bigger government sure. to get down to the local government. You want to break it down piece by piece. The assumption of anarchy is getting down to the lowest form 
of individual governance. The four-unit condo I described earlier. So I was voluntarily doing that so that it's very transparent. I'm correct. voluntarily doing this. I get it. I'm signing away my rights a little bit, a but it's of, all voluntary, and it's on a case-by-case basis. A lot case of basis. people would think, well, without government, there would be no order. So let's just take it from a conceptual point of view. Okay. You can have order. The difference is, is how do we establish that order? And we're going, we're talking about communities. So not everybody lives in a place like Los Angeles or New York, but most people live in a town of anywhere from a couple thousand to several hundred thousand or even a couple million. The idea of anarchy in the modern society is going to be a society where people are living amongst one another based on consent. So in order to establish order, my hypothesis is based on a lot of what Hoppe has talked to is the idea of the communities like basically a HOA. There would be communities that have their own standards that they've agreed to, kind of like charters. Sure. So that, say for instance, Middletown. Middletown says, here's our charter for how we do things here. And if you buy in, then you agree to it voluntarily, then you agree to whatever it is that we have here. Now, say, for instance, at some point you don't like what we're doing here. You have the freedom to move out of our HOA to someplace else. There's going to be a lot of gaps in this in terms of communities, municipalities, rural areas, metropolitan areas. There's going to be different sort of divides in how they do things. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. Sure. The one thing people need to understand is it's not going to be a Wild West where there's no order, but it's also not going to be clean where it's a one-size-fits-all for everybody either. Um, we've alluded to this when we discussed age of consent in another podcast where I said different communities are likely going to have different ideas about how they approach things. Some places are probably going to be perfectly fine with you walking around with a machine gun. Mm. Some places are going to be perfectly fine with men dating younger women wow, of yeah. a child age. Yeah. That just might happen. That's crazy. Or, I mean, that, that's obviously a polarizing hot button topic right there. What people, and there's a lot of different directions. You're not going to be able to swallow the idea of a stateless society in one bite. It's going to be something you have to slowly ingest over time, piece by piece. Why is it important for us to be having this conversation? Because right now we have probably the biggest, most restrictive government known to man. Probably make, I think the Roman Empire was more libertarian by comparison. Ooh. Because you had different areas, different regions, different kind of ways of how they approach things. Whereas now we're more of a top-down society we're very polarized in what we want, and it's not jiving. We're no longer the laboratories of freedom that we once were envisioned. People that want more consolidation of power, the establishment, they're looking for a more top-down view, whereas the people who value some measure of personal liberty are noticing that they're getting cracked down on a lot more and more than they ever were before. So the concept that there's no, certainly no branch of the federal at least federal government that we view as legitimate is kind of what we're tackling here yes technically government is illegitimate in the sense of so what's government based off taxation you can't have a government without taxes effectively you could probably have it with fees taxation so we have a saying taxation is theft why is it theft 
Did you agree specifically to all the taxes that you pay? No. It's not a trick question. No. I mean, I've heard some people argue, well, you choose to live here. Right. That's So did you sign on to this contract? I was born here. You, okay. So did you ever, exp- to me, any, I contract, agree. I agree any contract I've personally ever agreed to, I've actually had to sign on to. I've sure. had to give my explicit signature, and had name, the- whether it was a car loan, my enlistment, my mortgage, mm-hmm. anything I've ever agreed to, even so much as like, you know, contract for, you know, media service, you know, HBO or something like that. You've had to agree to that. The social contract is a claim that just by living here, you agree to these terms. It's a fallacy. It's misleading. It's propaganda. It's absolutely propaganda. So it's basically this assumption that, well, just because we're here, we all agree to one another. Come on. We're all on the same team. It's it's at right. its core. It's an assumption. It's the ultimate assumption. Yes. So government is basically taxation, which is against expressed explicit consent. You could say the founders agreed to it at that time for whatever reason. We can go down that rabbit hole another time about why they agreed to taxation because they thought at that time it was going to be, to some degree, a unified understanding of what a limited government would be. I think that there were some that were arguing for less government. There were some that were arguing for a king. So they were just trying to reconcile their differences. Um, before we go any further, I think it's worth noting, no, in my opinion, no form of government is ever going to be perfect. I think the one thing people have to be careful of is don't chase a unicorn. Don't chase a system of government or a philosophy of governance that's going to be perfect. It doesn't exist. There's the more perfect be- it sounds, the more you should have your well, spidey senses come up. There's just not going to be something that's going to have a solution for everything. But So you're suggesting that even the anarcho solutions we are presenting are certainly not perfect. No, and I would even say that uh, when people argue for free markets and voluntarism, you have to absolutely be upfront and very transparent about the inevitable pitfalls of what's going to entail with that. There could be violence. Yes, there could be violence. There could be suffering of all kinds of things. There's We can talk about that in the market sense, but... A lot of what you hear from the left in terms of compassion and empathy for those that are in need, well, that's only done through force. Mm, yeah, You're extorting taxes from your neighbor to pay for somebody who's in need. When in reality, there's a whole different way you could approach that. And so they basically, they're taking in an emotional compulsion of, I care about the kids. I care about the elderly. I care about those who are less fortunate. That's great. But you're carrying your empathy is also done by men with guns who are enforcing laws to extract wealth from others to pay for your compassion. Very well put. So on the libertarian side, on the extreme side, a government that basically doesn't a society where there's no government, you could argue that there's going to be women and children and people of very little means that will suffer because they don't have anybody looking out for them. It does. And there's a rabbit hole that we, there's a trails that we can go down. It does open up the ultimate, you and I are family men, right? What happens if you fall on hard times? What happens to your family? What happens to your wife and kids if you become sick and you can't provide for them? Mm. There's a lot of what ifs there. And I would say this, yes, that would require you 
to make different decisions in life based on your ability to provide for your family. You're probably not going to be sitting around doing podcasts all day if you feel like there's a possibility your kids are going to suffer because you've got to put in more work. Otherwise, sure. if you don't take care of your family, your family suffers. You don't have time for podcasts. You have to hustle to make ends meet to ensure that they're taken care of. A lot of different rabbit holes that could go. Back in the 1800s and even the 1900s, it could be argued that people didn't have the luxuries that we have now. There was not the so there was not the safety net, the assumption of stable employment. Yes. So you had to make ends meet by any means necessary. You had to always hustle as if you never knew if your your paycheck was not guaranteed. Sure. So you always had to be on the move to make more money, to make ends meet, to ensure that you could be taken care of. And some people would argue that that's not fair, that's not appropriate. There's a lot of different ways you can approach that. But that's the, that's the idea of if you want freedom, you've got to have that freedom of the consequence of what's going to happen. No one's out there to look at for you. By default, there's no safety net. Now, I would argue this just on that point could also argue that there's more wealth to go around because there's no taxes churches and people are free to look out for one another. people do like to help others okay so to not i enjoy helping others i'm not trying to say i'm a virtue signal or something but if i know of someone who's in need that i meet at the gym and hey you're on hard times you need a ride you need so help what, getting so a job i what i'm saying is i think people when they're prosperous through churches or whatever. I do think that people like to actually help, not the bullshit type of help Bernie Sanders preaches, that tax the rich and give to the poor. Direct, like that, to me, that's not helping. Uh, so take three examples. The market example, people in need, then there's the crime factor, then there's the national defense factor. I think we can look at it. So let's take a look at on the welfare factor. People that are in need. Who's going to look out for the people in need if there's no government there to look out for them? So first of all, people are going to make a lot better choices in life. They're not going to be lazy. They're not going to squander their whatever wealth or assets that they have. There will be exceptions, but uh, across the board, you're you must. Be, you're going to be a lot less likely to take to gamble with your time and with your money because you know that if you fall in hard times, you can't just go down the street and, and apply for benefits. I would also say that when it comes to people that are in need, there's going to be the ability, the churches, the communities are still going to, you're going to have friends and neighbors and family that are still going to be able to look out for you. And no, by the way, because they're not paying a quarter to a half of their income in taxes, mm -hmm. they're probably going to have the means to help you. I would even argue, what does more to help a person get back on their feet? A government check Fish? or somebody checking up on them to find out what's really going on? Some people, they lose their job of no fault of their own. They just need a little bit of help to get by until they get back on their feet and find a job. Cool. No problem there. Some people, they just can't freaking wake up in the morning. They like to party at night and sleep all day. And not work. So you know what? Maybe they need consequences. Maybe they don't need a government check. Maybe they need to suffer. Maybe they need to skip rent, get kicked out, bottom out, and realize maybe I shouldn't drink all night and neglect my responsibilities. That's one way to approach it. Do you feel you are portraying anarcho-libertarianism as a bunch of heartless assholes? <laughs> I would say that we are the, it is the philosophy of reality. So um, I would say also that the people who claim to be the most empathetic, they're only empathetic with other people's money. <laughs> 
Um, last I checked, there's a lot of millionaires and billionaires and very wealthy people in general. Very few people who are arguing for socialism are doing so at their own expense. They're doing it at the expense of other people. Um, we've discussed this before. Penn Jillette has a great quote where he talks about, you don't get any credit for taking care of other people's needs with other people's money. That's not charity. Okay. That's compulsion. So arguing that the government sends people with guns to enforce laws and revenues paid for by other people to pay for your charity efforts, that doesn't make you noble. Not in the least. What makes you noble is to help other people. So a fallacy that the people on the left like to use is that Jesus was a socialist. They like to say that he, he directed people, go take care of the, pe you know, the people in need, the hungry, the poor. Great. You know who they told that to? His people. He didn't say petition seizure. He didn't say petition the government. He said, you, out of your own ability, go help those in need. What people are missing is that there's got to be this personal responsibility to help one another. It's not a government mandate. But because we've been trained through the school system for countless, for several generations, that government is good and government is benevolent, we automatically turned instinctively to government. That's what we know. We don't know of a society to where things can be done voluntarily. We've never experienced that. We've never been taught that. So the idea that we can have a free society where people choose to do things is very foreign to us. And it's very scary as well. Let's be honest. It do is you, scary. Do you trust the idea that if the government were to collapse tomorrow, that your fellow man, your neighbors, everybody would work in harmony with one another to take care of each other? Probably not. There would be some semblance of that. We've seen disasters where people, communities come together after a tornado, after a storm, after a flood. Something really bad happens. Mm -hmm. Neighbors check in on each other. But we have also seen situations where people ignore each other, where bad things happen and neighbors and friends or whoever it is, they don't want to get involved. So it goes both ways. Sure. And I would say that that's where personal responsibility has to kick in. If you know that the government's not going to be there to take care of you, then you know that you have to plan for your life and make decisions based on the assumption that you have to take care of yourself first. That doesn't mean you can't find ways of helping yourself by making connections with friends and family, that you should not assume that people cannot help you, but you don't bank on that. You don't count on that. You don't rely on that. You don't assume, I'm going to give a government check to help me pay for my rent and pay for my groceries. You know that the responsibility, the primary responsibility is for you to go out and work and achieve for yourself. That's how the free market is supposed to work. Now we can talk about corporations as well, but but the whole other I, side of that. You, you touched on an interesting topic, which is that it is scary. And that's the main selling fear. point against it is, is fear. There's two types of people that buy into socialism. Those that want the power and those who are naive enough to believe that it can actually work. It's mm. kind of like limited government. So socialism, the idea that people get taken care of and the, at the resources get spread out enough so that fewer people go without. Well, in what world do you believe people in power aren't corrupt? And, and if we're going to be honest here, there is a segment of people who genuinely believe, well, I'm a socialist and I want to take care of my fellow people. 
Cool, I get that. that I think you that do. is a lot of those people. You do. I think a lot of the people but who the vote But the people for that. who are in power, the bureaucrats, the elected politicians, they don't give a shit about Even this. if they did at the beginning. They eventually fall. Over they time. Win, Bernie Sanders win. votes for every fucking war right now. So you can absolutely be someone who believes in the ideas, the empathy of socialism, of taking care of your fellow people. But guess what? You can do that on your own. So then the question comes, yeah, but... Not everybody else is going to do that. Well, then that's their choice. You, If you are going to ascribe to an ideology that takes by force other people's resources that take care of other people, you are by definition the very monster you claim to hate. Sure. Just because you do it by voting doesn't make it any less evil. Hmm. You're still supporting force. Just because you voted for... Your mayor, your councilman, your congressman, whoever, to enforce to implement these policies—they're all done by force. Doesn't make it any less evil just because you weren't directly involved. You might pat yourself on the back because you supported it, but in reality, it's still evil. I think an important. I don't know that I'll articulate. Th- articulate this the right way. I think an important topic is that many people justify, well, you can't be, we can't have anarchy. You need some form of government, okay? And that's what they think. That's what they, 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 how they articulate it. But when you look at what gov- the government that you're supporting actually does, like the worst stuff it does, regardless of what you want at its core, regardless of what you think is good, the uh, uh, foreign policy, you know, Ukraine, uh, the, the drone strikes all across the, the world that we do even now that people don't give a shit about. If you focus, if you just get in onto Google and type U.S. drone strike or just drone strike and then news, they'll come up within the next, last few weeks. There's some drone strikes that are funded by the United States going on a lot. And so if you, at its core, well, we need some government. So now I'm going to vote... <laughs> So for, for let's, let's this talk, worst let's, thing in the history of the world that's think, happening think, at all yeah, times. I know that's a lot. I think the people that are concerned and the fear is who's going to be in charge and how do we establish order? And it's a very good question and fear. And let's go ahead and tackle that head on. So first of all, even if we abolish government, I don't think we're actually going to abolish all forms of governance. I think an argument could be made that over time it's going to be a decentralized sort of movement where it's going to be top down. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller over time. I think even from a very, uh, if we were to try to reconcile the most principled hardline anarcho vision versus the most pragmatic libertarian vision, I think you're going to realize that ultimately there's still going to be some communities with some form of government to some degree. I don't think they're going to have near the same power and reach that they do now. I think they're going to resemble HOAs. Okay. I think that they're going to be very limited in their ability on what sort of rules and norms are going to enforce and how they do so. And I think they will evolve over time with best practices. I also think Norton, that, Norton comments. And I think that you're going to find that when you get away from the, the less populated areas will be the least governed areas. Let's put it. I think you're going to find that when you go to a rural port part of Kentucky, 
you're going to find there's a lot less restriction. There's a lot more freedom for property owners to live however they so choose. Um, there's a lot of discussions that can be had. Uh, police, you're going to have security forces. You can have security forces that will be contracted. So that way when their employees get out of line, if they put their knee down on somebody's neck for 20 minutes, they will be held accountable. It mm. won't have the same red bureaucratic red tape that we have now. Will, uni- will unions exist? Uh, I think voluntary unions can exist. There's absolutely no nothing wrong with a voluntary union. It's only when unions are enforced by the letter of the law mm. and gov- and businesses are forced to recognize It's when the it. monopoly comes in. So here's the fun part. Businesses cannot reject a union organization, meaning if the, if the employees vote for a union, the, the owners can't say, okay, well, you're all fired and I'm starting over. They can't do that. So that's government force right there. I have no problem with a group of people wanting to organize together. So you're saying that law shouldn't exist. Exactly. If a group of people want to organize together, great. But then that employer should also have the prerogative to say, you're all fired and I'm going to hire new people if they so choose. Makes sense. Um, In terms of order law enforcement, there's a couple of different ways you could approach that. First of all, there's no gun laws per se. There's no federal gun laws the local gun laws are going to be very limited at best because how will they enforce them? It's the understanding of personal freedom. Guess what? When you have a population where people are empowered to carry firearms and use them, crime's going to go down a long ways because you realize more people are going to be carrying guns and more people are empowered to defend themselves if need be. How do we empower people and how do we handle crimes of a he said, she'd said argument? Well, Let's. I'm going to bust the bubble right now. We have a hot mess as it is right now with our justice system. Right now, we still have he said, she said. Investigations are not always cut and dry. Innocent people do go to jail all the time. So before you assume that in a libertarian society, it's this unicorn fairy tale of people living in peace, well, we have a unicorn fairy tale right now where the government does everything that it's supposed to do. The only difference is you've been convinced that it's working well or it's working better than anything else. And without that government, things would be worse. Yes. (laughs) So there's a lot of different angles we can take it on this. Like, say, for instance, the free market angle. What happens if we don't have a market to regulate people? How people are hired and fired? The products that they provide. There's a lot of different angles that we can go with anarchy that people just don't know and they don't consider because they haven't thought it through. And to be fair, for the purposes of dialogue we can't explain everything in anarchy and if you're really curious you have to kind of seek some of these answers on your own as well um we can sit here and talk for another hour if we wanted to about anarchy but we're not going to answer all your questions all we can do is just try to provide an outline of how it works of how natural rights work you have a natural right to do what you want as long as you're not hurting other people now I will say this, that's where the biggest question is going to be is define harm. Are you harming me if you cuss me? Are you harming me if you walk around naked? Are you harming me Misgender if, me. if you start shooting guns randomly? Now, that's where property rights are going to come into tail. People don't realize that right now we don't really have a very good exercise of property rights. There's a lot of public property and private property and the enforcement thereof is very gray. So 
that's going to be at a premium, meaning if somebody owns a strip mall, they have the prerogative to have their own security force so that if you do walk around naked, they can kick you out by force if necessary. People, there's going to be private ownership of roads. If you're driving recklessly, they have the prerogative to pull you over and arrest you for driving recklessly. Mm. So there's a lot of different ways we can approach this. If you live in a neighborhood where you're being an asshole and you're being a nuisance, the community can come together and find ways of trying to compel you to either be a better neighbor or to leave. And they can find ways to do that. So there's a lot of different ways we can approach this stuff. And it requires a little bit of effort on the part of the person concerned in being critical to consider how it would be approached and what, how, what these resolutions would be. For me, anarchy sounded ridiculous. Um, it sounded scary. I didn't think it could work. I had to put a lot of time into it. To be honest with you, it took me several years from the time that I initially heard about it till the time that I slowly started to embrace it. Several years to think through all the different facets. But for me, it all started with economics, just like with you. Economics made sense to me. Nobody is entitled to anything. Nobody is owed anything. You have to earn what you want, and you have to respect other people's decisions. If you can start with that basis, you're going to be a lot better off than somebody who starts with an entitlement mentality. People who have an entitlement mentality generally want more control because they want to have all needs provided for by other people. So that's where the left, the socialist mentality, has a lot of difficulty with personal liberty because control is at the essence of what they want. I think they're selling themselves short a lot. The lefties who, who have that mentality where they kind of think they, uh, uh, healthcare is a natural right or free college is a natural right. They're selling themselves short. And what I mean by that is you show me an able-bodied 21-year-old male and in the free market, and even in today's market, if they're willing to put some time into a 40-hour-a-week good profession... So that's profession, the problem right there. They, 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 they should be able to... So here's the problem. You're a self-starter. You're a business owner. Okay, I am. You're thinking from the mindset of somebody who's got initiative. Okay, who I want, am. Who wants to earn. Correct. Most people... They haven't the even so- put the thought most, into the concept that they the, could be as... Most people of the collectivist mindset feel owed. They do not feel they should have to earn. Mm-hmm. So you're operating from two different mindsets from the very well, beginning. Well, that's a very flawed mindset. And if that's truly <laughs> what we're starting at, if that's truly they what feel, you said is they, completely they, accurate. They feel entitled. They, okay. should, they, they do not feel that they should have to earn basic necessities. Hmm. That's difficult to, to ration with. I mean, I didn't grow up an anarchist, but even I understood better than Me that. Me too. Even, I've, I've even, never had a, a I lefty never felt phase. that I was owed anything i was never taught that i was now did i feel that there should be certain things in life that if i work hard for i should be able to achieve them absolutely do i feel like that if i earned something that it was mine absolutely but there is a poison and i don't know where it comes from i'm not probably the best i'm really not the best educated when it comes from the roots of communism marxism and the different schools of socialism within the you know, the U.S. and where it came to be. All I know is it's rooted in collectivism. They have no respect for personal rights, personal liberties. It's all collectivism. And what I would say to those people is like, look, 
in the off chance that there's even one person listening, which maybe maybe there's not. Believes <laughs> it, that it, it believes that at this point of the up, forty seven minutes in, that they're can, still listening. Consider this: if you're of the per, if you're of the mindset that you were entitled to anything, just know that in, for you to be entitled to something, somebody else has to provide it for you, which means you have to force somebody else to do something against their will if they don't want to do it. So. There's a lot of flaws in that. There's a lot of assumptions in collectivism. Again, it all comes down to being raised in a, you know, a first world society where you get education, medical care, a lot of benefits and privileges that third world countries don't have. So there's this idea, there's this utopian mindset that, well, we have all this wealth. Why can't we make it better for everybody? And they just haven't thought it through. You know what I find to be an interesting case study when it comes to that topic is prior to the Cuban Revolution in 1959, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, there was a lot of successful business owners lived around Havana, the wealthiest people in the country. And it was like the second most successful or highest GDP of any Latin American country in, the, in uh, Latin America at that time. So the, the economy of Cuba was doing relatively well and there were some wealthy business owners there. Marxism took over. They started changing the schools. The business owners who were in touch with what was going on in Russia, who were educated about that type of stuff, were like, oh, shit. We got to get out of here. This is not good. So they knew most of the country didn't, but these business owners did. So my point is this. The case study in it is this. They got to do the Peter Pan, Operation Peter Pan, send, I think it was 14,000 kids without the parents. These kids had been raised with a self-starter anti-collectivist mindset, the business owners' kids, they got to send them to the United States without the parents. And the average incomes, I forget the numbers, but they're all just very successful business owners. And a lot of them never even connected, or some of them had to disintegrate from their family. They didn't leave with a bunch of wealth. Everything was taken from them. They had just learned, they had been brought up in a, a, a mentality that you shouldn't ask for anything for free, that you need to go out and do things, you need to earn things. And they all did very well. Um, I think it's worth noting that there is a shared sort of assumption amongst socialists and even some, how should I say, conservatives, that authority of government is deferred to, so therefore it is appropriate and it is right. And that is the root of why we have the government that we have today. Because... We started off with limited government in you know, 1783, 1786, and it was all fine and dandy. However, there was always this assumption that government was going to remain limited according to the Constitution. Well, obviously, that went away really fast. Um, the problem that people have is, is that too many people believe in the deference to authority and they also have this their own sort of subtle collectivist mentality of what I like and what I think is good is shared by so many others. So therefore, there's no reason to have any critical thinking about what matters to the individuals. So long story short, it's easy among even conservatives to have collectivist thinking where they have no respect for minorities. Mm. That's the rub with libertarians is even if something goes against your personal preference, you understand that maybe that doesn't really jive with somebody else and you respect those boundaries. 
Conservatives typically don't do well with that. They have their own forms of collectivism with tribalism. I believe it was maybe, two th- this may be off topic, but at 2017, I heard Patrick Bet David interview Ron Paul. Ron Paul, however old he was at that point, but 2017, I think, he sounded pretty sharp to me. And Patrick De- Bet David's a self-starter. He's like, you need to, we need to get you in front of like some minority groups and, you know, inner city schools and uh, different, you know, ethnicities. And Ron was like, you know, I don't always do well with that type of thing. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm not trying to appeal to any group of people. I'm trying to appeal to every person individually. He was just super honest. He's like, if that's your, st- <laughs> if that's the stick, it, it, that's just not consistent with what I'm talking about. Um, I think there's something to be said about, and you're wearing a Black Guns Matter shirt, um, there's different personalities with different understandings of different types of people that are better suited. I would say that Ron Paul, if he were talking to an individual from any portion of, let's just say, a black or minority neighborhood, he would absolutely do just fine. And that's what Patrick Bet David that, was saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the why he problem is, he's authentic. Is you, the problem is there are certain times when people come together the group think starts to kick mm. in and it's hard to appeal to that because sure. usually in any group, interesting point, yes, you're going to have one or two that know what's going on. They have an agenda and they're going to start to stir the pot a little bit. Mm. So, and keep in mind this for all the good people that have good intentions that are very sincere and think, trying to be open-minded. There's a lot of people with agendas out there. Mm. There's a lot of people that want to control what I, the comment that I made before about socialism, collectivism, there's the people that genuinely believe in the idea of a better society, and then there's the people that want the power, that want to benefit from that. Okay. There's a lot of those people out there. Mm. There's a lot of people out there that know <laughs> these policies lead to more power and enrichment for themselves. That's what they're in it for. They're not in it because they really give a shit about kids. You mean 95, to, 95% go, of the Senate? <laughs> There's a lot of people who just realize that for whatever their ideology is, they can sell the people on that for votes in exchange for their own enrichment and power. If you were trying to pursue a political career and all you cared about was how far you could go with it, what would your ideology be? What would you be selling? Obviously socialism. But here's the thing. There's a lot of right-wingers who have done very well for themselves as well. Um, I I quickly found for myself, for anybody... listening to this is any way, shape, or form familiar with me. I dabbled in the Libertarian Party. I dabbled in politics for a little bit. I quickly found that uh, for me, there's a lot of gamesmanship going on. Sure. There's a lot of, how shall we say, maneuvering amongst people. And there's a lot of people who are not very sincere at all. I don't do very well a lot with that, with those sort of circles. There's a lot of people who are not very sincere, who are not very upfront about their intentions. I don't play that game very well, so I had to step away from that. If you want to be successful in politics, you've got to be able to play that game. I admire someone like Thomas Massey. He definitely plays the game. He's got the understanding of the types of people that he's dealing with, but he knows the rules of the game, and he maneuvers very well. I can't do something like that. You wouldn't support Kevin McCarthy? (laughs) Is that what you're saying? So I would just say this. I don't assume Thomas Massey is perfect. I don't think Thomas Massey would say he's perfect. 
In fact, Thomas Massey, more often than not, will say, if I'm wrong, I'm happy to hear about it. Generally speaking, he's more often right than he is wrong. Does that mean that he's ever wrong on anything big? I can't say it for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I almost in, in situations like him endorsing McCarthy, I, I talked to my dad about it, one of my uncles, and they were like, your boy Massey, everybody's always saying you're because I'm Kentucky and I you know, like the libertarian stuff. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, there must be a reason why Massey. So I almost trust Massey on this more than anyone. I'm not expecting that the Speaker of the House will all of a sudden be some man of principle. I mean, is, was that going to happen? Your guess is good as mine. And I would say, how do we bring this back to anarchy? I think we have to understand that the system and the reality that we're living in is a system based on a very entrenched government and an establishment of people seeking power. That's not vanishing anytime soon. So what's the roadmap to get there? Great. That's great. where we have to decentralize. That's where we have to, again, we have to go from the top down. We have to decentralize. But we had to establish. What is it we're trying to achieve? We're trying to achieve Ultimately. more freedom. We're trying to roll back regulations. We're trying to roll back laws. We're trying to empower people at the lowest common denominator, the individual, to be more empowered to live life the way that they see fit so that they don't harm other people. So here's the rub. When people ask, how do you define harm? There's not going to be a universal consensus on that. That's where we have to accept that there's going to be different places, different communities sure. that have different practices and some will not agree with others. The dirty little secret is not everywhere you're going to go in Ancap, what we refer to as Ancapistan, a stateless society. Not every town, not every community will abide by the same rules and norms. There will be some, as I said before, there will be some places where walking around with a machine gun is perfectly okay, and there's going to be some places where having an underage girlfriend is going to be perfectly okay. That's just how they're going to roll. And, and I would. I like how you don't shy away from some of the, the the more controversial topics. I would say that. What about pedophilia? I would say that there's going to be some communities where it's tolerated more than others, and Jesus. I would say that there's probably going to be situations in which some communities say that you know what. We don't think that that's very acceptable. We're going to do something about that. And there's going to be different levels of escalation. Here's the key. There's different ways to confront evil. You don't always have to go out there with the wood chipper and start throwing people in the wood chipper. They do something wrong. You can start with, hey, that's not acceptable behavior. We don't like that. They're going to give you the finger and say, we like our little kids. Leave us alone. Cool. So here's what we're going to do. We're no longer going to do business with you. We're going to cut off all trade business you're not going to get our power. You're not going to get our water. Okay. Nobody's going to work for you. You're going to be completely isolated. They say, cool, we'll do things on our own. Then you'll have to go to the next step. Okay, they're completely isolated and cut off from any local community. They're still doing just fine. They're doing what they got to do. At that point, what do you decide? Do you have to use force? You can walk in there and say, guess what? Obviously, being isolated hasn't been worked out very well for us. You're still doing what you're going to do. Well, now we're going to appeal to you that if you don't knock this off, we may have to use force. We wow. don't want to, okay. but the fact is, this isn't cool. Can we have a conversation about maybe establishing an age of consent within your community to where maybe 13 or 14 or 15 is going to be the cutoff so that at least you're not going after little kids? Wow, wow. doesn't mean that we like it, but we have to establish wow, okay. an agreeable zone. doesn't mean that we want to tolerate that, but we got to start somewhere. They say, no, we want to continue to engage in sex with little kids. So here's what I'm going to tell you. There's a lot of people here who don't have any patience for that. 
So you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you a deadline. You either come to the table and we can talk terms of how you're going to change or we're going to use force to change for you. So it's still, force can still happen. So I would say this. Why are we talking about force? Because we believe that there are people involved that are not able to give consent. Okay. We're not talking. So that w- this, we're, we're, not, we're kind of touching on maybe the rare exception. Yes. We're talking about the gray areas where we feel that people have to decide what are they willing to live with and what are they not able to live with okay. based on consent. Now... You could say that, well, maybe you live in a place where they practice racism. That's very true. How do you deal with racism? That's a good one. You deal with racism like anything else. Market forces. Oh, by the way, there's the Burger Shack. They don't serve black people. They only serve white people. So guess what? Maybe we put the word out that they're racist and we don't buy from them. An honest press would be very important in this society. So there's a lot of different ways you can approach this. Market forces, social ostracization. If you find out your neighbors are doing some really bad behavior, you call them out on it. There's different levels of escalation here. People have to be thoughtful and creative in their thinking. You can't just assume it's either total chaos and people just shoot guns at each other for no reason, or it's big government and we're all oppressed. There's a lot of in-between. And people, have, for people who are going to criticize anarchy, they have to be willing to at least apply a little bit of critical thinking, and there's a, very, a lot of nuanced discussions to be had with that. So, I, I think it's a very, um, quite the turn, like the type of topic politically, that if some people tune in for a political episode... And they hear us talking about some abstract shit like this, which is what we're discussing, admittedly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, these guys live in a fantasy land. What do I find as a fantasy land is where a situation in which half of my income is taken away from me to support wars that I absolutely hate that I feel like are a risk at putting us into World War Three. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's a lot of different directions. I would just say this. We are living in a government that, in my estimation, and a lot of people that I know agree with me, that this is by this is uh, de facto tyranny. You and I are not free to say in any platform what we really want to say without the risk of men in suits coming to our door questioning us, potentially even taking us to jail if we really said what we wanted to say. They did things back in the 1700s that would have gotten them incarcerated, threat making threats burning effigies, speaking out very sternly about elected officials, saying things that should not they would not normally tolerate, but that's how far we've come. So yes, anarchy is not pretty. There's got to be no claim or assumption that anarchy will be rainbows and unicorns. There's going to be a lot of assumption that people can come together, work together in cooperation for a better community, and then there will be other places where people basically fall to the lowest common denominator, just as they do now. I don't think all forms of government will be completely annihilated. I do think that there will be some areas that will have something that resembles government more than other places, more restricted, probably more in keeping with the Constitution. Sure. What- and, and, and that will be different from community to community. Some places will have a stronger hand. Some places will have a lighter hand. We, we live in Louisville, Kentucky. Brian, you're familiar with the Norton Commons neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Could you tell people outside of Louisville what that place is? I mean, I've 
been through there. I don't know much about their government structure. I don't know if they're a completely independent government. I don't either. So what I will say is this. If you've ever lived in a place, say, um, if you've ever gone from a city to a rural area, there's a distinct difference in the way people do things. Okay. There's a, diff- there's a distinct difference in the behaviors and the norms of the cities versus the rural neighborhoods. Uh, when I lived in Nebraska, we had friends and family that lived far, several miles, an hour drive outside of the city. They had farms and ranches outside. They could pretty much live however they want. They still paid taxes. Mm-hmm. They were still under the law. Probably still paying lower taxes yes, in that area. Yes, but they still, they still abided by the law for the most part. But they were also afforded the freedom to pretty much do whatever they want as long as they weren't bothering anybody or drawing any attention by anybody. Okay. They could raise all manner of farm animals. We could shoot guns, light fireworks, build things, do things. And for the most part, nobody cared. That's effectively de facto anarchy in a lot of ways. The only difference is they're still paying taxes, which is unfortunate, <laughs> but, they're is. Li- but they're living life for the most part in a way that most people in the cities could not fathom. Correct. And it's unfor- very unfortunate for them because they're sounds like they're probably very self-sufficient and they're then paying taxes, so they're not getting much of the tax benefit. Anarchy is not nearly as scary as people realize. They just have to open their mind a little bit to the possibilities of what people are doing and what they, and what they could be doing. So there's a, there's a lot of different ways we can go into it, but decentralization um, is the biggest part of it, realizing that we're not talking about vanishing the government overnight. We're talking about a process that would take generations. We're talking about the goal is more freedom than not, you know, we're not talking a situation in which there's no order. There absolutely would be order, but it would look different from town to town. So just get rid of the radical, scary ideas and just break it down with a little bit of common sense and it all adds up. Do you think voting for people like Rand Paul or Thomas Massey or RFK Jr., in some ways, if they're going to at least clean up the existing institutions, that is a step in a good direction? I don't have any faith that any of those people are going to do anything meaningful in our lifetime. I think that right now I'm convinced... Radical change is going to be what's the necessary catalyst for anything else. And by that, I do absolutely mean threats of secession, civil war, some kind of a massive radical break. I do not think we're, I hope for peaceful transition to liberty. I hope for peaceful secession. I don't anticipate it. I think that things are going to get considerably worse than before they get better. But I hope I'm wrong, and I will be happy to be wrong. The currency situation, Brazil is not using the U.S. dollar anymore. They're using the Chinese currency. I'm not a money man. I can't make any predictions on that. I've got several friends who are in finance who, honestly, a lot of people still believe that the dollar is going to be solid going forward for quite some time. That uh, the idea that we need to go to uh, crypto is just not going to be very feasible. You're not a big crypto guy. I don't know. I don't have the ability to say one way or another. I just know that a lot of my friends who are in finance are still believer. They do believe that there's going to be an ebb and flow in terms of the value of the dollar, but in terms of whether or not it's going to be... Lose its reserve currency for the world? Yeah. No, they think it's going to be pretty solid overall. They think it's going to change. A lot of it is just where we're at currently and where we've been the last few years. 
I think there's a possibility we could have some stabilization with a change in leadership. I think things can get better, mm, okay. but I don't necessarily think that they're going to continuously get better. I think they're eventually we're going to get worse. I think that the more the left has power, the worse they're going to get. So we could see some upticks, but we're going to definitely see a lot more downticks. You think the right is substantially better than the left? The Republicans are substantially better than the Democrats? I would say this. Um, I don't want any manner of authoritarianism, but I think first principles among the right will make it more feasible for us to live the way we want to. Okay. Um, I do ultimately think that no matter who's in charge, if there's any manner of authoritarianism, it's going to be bad in some way. But I do believe that, look, I used to be a right winger. I know where they come from. I could relate to them. I Let's just imagine Matt Walsh as president. He may not like the idea of people smoking dope, but he believes in you owning guns and he believes in you making money. He believes in you and having a free family and freedom of speech. So yes, you're saying yes, the right, I think there the could, right is There's better. going to be benefits, but I think there's also going to be some problems. Oh, because it I, tends towards authoritarianism. And I think that if uh, the right wing does take over, you're going to see, you know, the drug war on steroids. In oh, a lot okay. Of ways. So who knows? But so that is scary, right? That's an interesting angle is that if Ron DeSantis gets in office, let's say he's the next president. They could amplify the drug war in so many ways. So... I don't know. Um, we'll see. Like I said, I'm not. You know, I'm not the man to listen to on that. I could be very wrong. Who is really to listen? Who, who are your sources? Who do you enjoy listening to? I, ever- I will say this: in terms of making very good assessments on the future, I like Michael Malice, and I do like um, what's his name uh, on the Liberty Movement. I do like Spike Cohen a lot. I think those those two guys have a lot going for them. I think Michael Malice is a lot more on the optimistic side in terms of how things are going to be. Um, I will say this, the only problem that I have with that is I haven't seen, I haven't heard him really explain how we're going to get there. I just hear him explain. I just hear him say that he's got a lot of optimism for things getting better, but I don't really hear a whole lot to support why and how. So I could be missing that. Spike Cohen, I think, is a little bit more sober and a little bit more practical in his approach. Okay. Um, I think he's a little bit more wide-eyed to the realities of just how evil the people in charge really are and how much further they can go with it before they get removed from power, which is what my main concern is. I think we're going to see a harder crackdown before we see more freedom. Wow. How long that is and how quickly that takes, I have no idea. Well, Brian, this was part two of our, our series. I hope that we get to do a third at some point. But what once again, this is a, a dive into the concept that I, Kelly Patrick, now identify philosophically as a, and politically, I guess. Does that even make sense? So you reject, as an all, co- you reject all coercion against your explicit consent, which means no taxation, Correct. I don't authorize any unless it's specifically. So you want a truly free society, even if you're not sure how we get there. Even if there's a little bit of fear that goes along with it. That's perfectly fair because I think that's one thing we can agree with is like for a lot of people, it's usually immigration, national security, domestic concerns that trip them up the most. But I think once you realize that there's workarounds for that, like for instance, national security was big with me. I was really concerned about the possibility that, 
what happens if an invading army wants to come and take us over? Well, think about it. We still have all the military equipment. Yeah, we we would have the the government sell. The military doesn't just vanish. Plus, you still have 100 million armed gun owners. It's not like we all just give up and throw away our guns and say we surrender. And it's not like Elon Musk or whoever else isn't going to still develop weapons. And, you know, that's, you know... There's a lot of different ways that that would be addressed. There's a lot of different things you can take into account for how things would work. Um, I think the problem is, is when it comes to the scare tactics, think about the society we have currently. Is Mm. it it going well by any measure? (laughs) So when people talk about how scary anarchy is, cool, it might be scary. You might actually be required to take responsibility for yourself. (laughs) You're not going to be able to rely on this assumption of the government to take care of you. Is the government taking care of you right now? No. I mean, maybe if you're living off, you know, Medicaid or something like that and you're in a nursing home or if you uh, get a benefits check and you like going to the ER for your health care, maybe it's working out okay for you. But if you're somebody that works and tries to get by and you realize how much you're paying in taxes and how little you're getting for those taxes and you realize how much you're trying to, you know, just make better for yourself with less, this is not (laughs) – this is like – you might almost be willing to give this free society a chance because you realize, wow, free people can work together. A lot of people do want to work together. Let's just say that in a, a society, of say, just in Louisville, a million people, maybe half of us with good intentions want to come together and respect one another and say, hey, look, I don't know how we're going to do this, but I want to live peacefully with you. Do you want to live peacefully with me? Great. Let's figure this out. For the troublemakers, let's be honest. If you have no government, no police telling you that you can't defend yourself, troublemakers are going to get shot. They're going to get dealt with. Now, does that mean you have to worry about people driving around shooting each other? There might be a couple crackheads who might take a little bit of liberties, but they're not going to last very long. It's not going to be a situation to where people are going to just randomly drive by killing people. It's not in their best interest. I mean, honestly, if you saw some knucklehead in your neighborhood causing trouble just because he thought there was no police what's to stop you from taking care of you and a couple of your buddies or neighbors getting together it's like i know i would i've got a couple guns if i legitimately saw somebody out like putting my family at risk or something i feel i would be obligated to do something i know in my neighborhood there are several of us that are gun owners that share a very common mindset somebody comes in our neighborhood trying to start trouble they're gonna find what they're looking for so i'm not gonna say that there's not gonna be any there will be no assumption of any kind of chaos at first of course there's going to be some disorder and people taking advantage of it but when you consider what you have now the government crackdown not doing what it's supposed to do taking more of your money away you don't have anything resembling a truly limited government that's acting in your best interest well i think that's a good note to end it on brian i want to say thank you very much for coming on again um, if anyone's interested in hearing more from you, you're not even very active on social no, media. No, I'm not anymore. You, you're not. Um, Just come back for the next episode. The next episode of the Kelly Patrick Show. I do appreciate you coming on. I also want to say thank you to everyone for tuning in. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. Thank you.